Have you ever been assigned a patient that winds up being not so cut and dry? Like those patients in acute care or the nursing home who have dysphagia but struggle to complete exercises or compensatory strategies because of their intellectual or developmental disability. Or the patient with respiratory failure who develops respiratory-driven cardiac arrest, gets intubated for 10 plus days, and is on a trach and vent. Oh, and he also has a history of stroke, congestive heart failure, COPD, diabetes, and traumatic brain injury. No textbook or single webinar could ever prepare you for that. But we have something that can help you get there, and it's totally free. On May 19th, the MedSLP Collective is hosting another never-been-done-before virtual summit titled Advanced Therapy for Complex Patients, a Medical SLP's Guide. Learn critical concepts with actionable steps you can take for those not-so-cut-and-dry cases. You can earn up to 0.8 advanced ASHA CEUs if you are or you become a member of the MedSLP Collective, and the recording is also available inside of the Collective. Ready to scale your clinical skills? Go to medslpcollective.com forward slash summit to register today. This is episode 205 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guests are three wonderful SLPs from Tampa General Hospital. We have Casey Kruger, Tara Sigalowitz, and Morgan Holloway. They are all involved in the clinical fellowship program in several different ways. Casey Kruger is the coordinator and helped generate this position at Tampa General Hospital along with her colleagues. Tara Sigalowitz is Tampa General Hospital's current clinical fellow, and Morgan Holloway is the clinical fellowship mentor for this year. So hope you guys enjoy this episode. I think this was an amazing episode about just the power of bringing SLPs together to help you know, foster a learning environment for our colleagues that need help with training. And, and I think this is an amazing episode, an amazing program that they've started. And I hope it will inspire you all to take action at your facilities and hopefully get some training programs going for whether it's students or CFs as well. So hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, a mobile fees business owner, and founder of the MedSLP Collective. This podcast is all about delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere. Whether you're a new clinician seeking tangible tools for treatment or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is to help ditch the old-school ways of the past that no longer serve you or your patients, to reinvigorate your passion for our field, to broaden your knowledge about our scope of practice, and to inspire you to practice at the top of your license. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride, be open and willing to learn, because let's face it, your patients deserve that kind of care. With that, let's dive right in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Good morning, you guys. Welcome. Good morning. <laughs> all right. So we are going to try this. This is quite a different technology setup that we have today, but we're going to try it on a wing and a prayer. So Casey, I will have you introduce yourself and then you can introduce the other ladies. Sure. My name is Casey Kruger. I'm a medical speech pathologist at Tampa General Hospital. I'm a native Floridian, a wife, and a mom of a three-year-old boy, so my life is very busy. I went to undergrad at Florida State University. Go Knowles. My colleagues are not going to agree with me. <laughs> um, I went to, the, to graduate school at the University of South Florida. I did my clinical fellowship at Sarasota Memorial Hospital in the inpatient rehab and the acute care settings. 
I stayed there for three years and then got my dream job at Tampa General Hospital, and I've been here for eight years. Um, for the past five years, I've been the coordinator of the neurotrauma team and the spokesperson, if you will, for the speech pathology team for our department. Awesome, awesome. Morgan to introduce herself. My name is Morgan Holloway. Um, I'm also a native Floridian. I'm from Naples, Florida. Um, I completed my bachelor's of science at the University of Florida and uh, my master's at um, the University of South Florida. Um, after that, I completed my clinical fellowship at a skilled nursing facility in St. Petersburg. Um, and then I spent about a year working pool or PRM, PRN per diem um, in rehab, outpatient, and acute care at a small community hospital, as well as Tampa General Hospital. And like Casey, eventually I was able to um, get my dream job here at TGH. I was hired um, full-time for acute care, um, and I've been here for the past five years. I rotate through all of our teams, medical, surgical, neuroscience, trauma, cardiac transplant, and orthopedic, which I really enjoy because I think it, it keeps me on my toes and um, keeps me moving throughout the organization and keeps my skills up to par. Um, so I'm excited to be here today to support our clinical fellow and to talk about our um, clinical fellowship with Casey. Okay, best for last. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, hi, I'm Tara. I'm the current clinical fellow here at TGH. Um, I'm also a native Floridian. I'm from Fort Lauderdale area, actually. Um, and I moved up to Tampa for this fellowship position. Um, my history of speech pathology is small because this is my first, this is my fellowship. So we're three months in, we're loving every second of it. Um, I went to undergrad and grad school at the University of Florida. So go Gators. Awesome. Go Nulls. Awesome. I love it. I am not a native Floridian, but I do live in Florida now, everybody. So yeah, but I'm up, I'm up North. I'm up, up near Jacksonville. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Okay. So Casey, I'll let you lead. What are we going to talk about today? Yeah, so really the purpose of today is to talk about how we generated a clinical fellowship position here at Tampa General Hospital. Awesome. We really want to be hype girls for the profession to encourage others to generate more medical speech pathology clinical fellowships, because as many of us know, there's not many out there. So I wanted to talk about our process, how we got here, how we got a clinical fellowship position, um, and then give, give the audience some insight as to what it would be to be a mentor to a clinical fellow. Um, and to be a clinical fellow themselves at an acute care institution like Tampa General Hospital. Beautiful. I love it. I did meet, I actually met some of your colleagues at Flasha and they were talking about this as well. Yes. Okay. It's all coming back to me now. Yay. Okay. <laughs> I was like, yes, I would love to hear all about this process. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think this dream all came about from in, inside each and every one of us. Anyone who's ever pursued a medical speech pathology clinical fellowship knows that there's not many positions out there. It's a very rigorous process to find one. And then to be even interviewed or considered for the position is nearly impossible just because of the, the scarcity of the position. So I think the drive to get this position going came from each and every one of us. We all tried to pound down different facilities and try to apply to cer certain speech pathology positions that weren't necessarily looking for clinical fellows. It kind of sounded annoying to certain organizations because we were trying so hard. Um, and we remembered that. We carried that with us through our careers and we all hoped for a better option for, for the future. So that's where this all started. 
Um, and many discussions kind of happened in speech meetings and in our basement office about wouldn't it be nice to have a clinical fellowship? And we pursued that several times through different meetings with our manager, and it wasn't the right time organizationally, and it wasn't the right time organizationally. And we understood that, but we just didn't take no as like the final answer. And um, we just knew it was no for now, and that we would continue to pursue it maybe with a different approach in the future. And the whole reason why we wanted is wanted it in the first place was to help us grow. Tampa General Hospital has a, um, a vision or a mission, if you will, um, Tara, I'm going to borrow your badge card so I can quote it appropriately. <laughs> of, um, we, the shared purpose is we heal, we teach, we innovate, care for everyone every day. And we want, to, and we highlight on that we teach. And so we have many graduate clinicians that come through here at Tampa General Hospital. We are all very, we, we love our teaching that we do every day. And we just wanted to elaborate on that and help our profession grow. So that's why we decided to pursue this um, and where we started, just with the general concept. Awesome. Additionally, at Tampa General Hospital, there's other postgraduate positions for um, DBTs, so for physical therapy or for the MDs. There's residencies and fellowships and medical students and pharmacy has a residency. Um, and so why not speech pathology? So we also wanted to partake in that as well. It's a really awesome environment here for, for learning and a really good opportunity for a clinical fellow in speech pathology. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where our little, our little land started. So then um, we also had to think about how this could benefit our institution and our team. So although we have this dream of helping our profession, um, we had to think a little bit more strategically, a little bit more professionally, a little bit more business-like. So what exactly could we tell our leadership that would help our organization? What is in it for the organization that would be appealing to get this started? So a couple things that we threw on the table initially were that having a clinical fellow would designate certain time for ev more evidence-based practice and more evidence-based practice uh, research and innovation. Um, built into the clinical fellowship program is some dedicated time to looking into the research, discussing the research with our colleagues, um, teaching and, and getting some new concepts and ideas going so that we're abreast to the new um, ideas in the field. Having a new person in the group also brings fresh ideas and energizes the team. So it almost gives us all like a, a revamp, if you will, and gets us like every time we get a new clinical fellow, we have to adjust to it and, and have new concepts and ideas. So we all grow from having a new person on the team. Additionally, from the business perspective, it's financially savvy to um, have a clinical fellow as it's a rotating position, not a rotating position, but every year there's going to be a new clinical fellow. And it's almost a fixed cost with the variation of market adjustments because every year it's going to be at the clinical fellowship rate and not necessarily accounting for a performance appraisal increase or like an annual raise, if you will or a significant amount of um, experience that somebody else might come into the position with that would require um, compensation. Right, mm -hmm. right. So financially, we had to prepare for that discussion with our leadership, that this is financially additional help for, to care for our patients. Financially, it's a sound decision, and it's going to help us push our practice. Another factor that we brought to the table to our leadership is that it helps with recruitment. So we're training the next generation of speech pathologists. And we're training them in a way that TGH 
mics, if you will. And so now we have a bigger pool of, of therapists that we could potentially pull, off, pull from for future positions, not just immediately after their clinical fellowship, but for years to come. So it's good for recruitment. And then also the most, one of the most fun factors is that our clinical fellows keep us very cool. Um, we've learned so <laughs> many from our clinical fellows and we are on trend here at Chupa General, thanks to them only. Um, I try. I can't say I'm not successful, but I try. <laughs> we like to say that they keep us young, hip, and cool. Tara, the other day, we were talking about esophageal sweeps and, and MBS and um, the radiologist perspective of it. And she created a fantastic meme to go along with our vibe for the day. So we are really hip and cool now since we've had amazing. I love it, Tara. I'm so glad you could come in and contribute right away to the group. So <laughs> I make a big change around. <laughs> so that's what we brought to the table to to start with our um, our pitch, our pitch, if you will. Yeah. So so t- so tell me a little bit, Casey, about you know you had a few starts and stops. Just wasn't the right time. Was was there any? Did administration need any more information about certain things or did they tell you, you know, go back to the drawing board, we need more information, we need more number crunching about certain things or was it just a not right now type conversation? Sure, I think I think there's a number of factors. So um, what back in the day, if you will, the culture was a little bit different at Tampa General and it wasn't until we got this new CEO who's fantastic. I'm going to give him a shout out. John Corris, we love you. Speech with all the music. <laughs> John Cora is for president. John Cora is for president. (laughs) He brought in this culture of we heal, you know, the culture of we heal, we teach, we innovate, we care for every patient every day. And this is something that I think I think all of us felt every day throughout all of our profession here. But we started to see true organizational change with these concepts that we knew it was our time to jump. Now, with that, we also had to be smart and think about the department, again, from a business perspective, I know we wish like speech pathology was just all, you know, what's best for the patients, but we also have to know that this is a business. And so we had to look at, do we need another team member with us? Do we have the caseload to support that? So we had to look at how many hours of patient care we were doing versus the amount of staff we had to support that, how many team members we had to support that. And we had to present that data to our leadership to justify it. Additionally, we had to look at the ASHA requirements for a clinical fellowship position, what it would entail for the mentor, how much time it would take away from patient care for the mentor, and how much patient care it would take away from the CF as well, and advocate how that could benefit the organization as well. So you have to think, when you're pitching something like this, what is in it for the organization? And you have to pitch that to them while supporting your profession. Yep. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And then there was the hard stop of COVID-19. Oh, then there was the hard stop of COVID-19. I think all of us can understand that we've been, you know, someone, everyone was working on something when COVID-19 entered the organization or entered the U.S. And unfortunately for us, that was right as we were jumpstarting our first clinical fellowship year. Um, And it postponed our start time by a couple of months. So that was another loophole that we had to jump through. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm proud of you guys that you got it going still, even in the midst of COVID. So that's amazing. I think that's something that I wanted to touch on is persistence, that you you must persist and don't give up on your dream. It just, like I said earlier, it might be a no for now, but it doesn't mean no forever. And you might yeah. just have to take a different turn to get there. 
Awesome. I love that. Yeah. I also wanted to give a shout out to uh, Johns Hopkins. Um, when we started this process, we Google stocked many organizations yeah. with pathology positions and reached out to several and I got a beautiful response from Johns Hopkins, um, just being such hype girls and just being so supportive and saying, yes, we need another clinical fellowship, medical clinical fellowship position in the nation. And what can we do to help you? And this is what we've done. And um, I just found that so heartwarming and they may not remember that, but I do. And I just, I wanted to do this podcast to share that with everyone else to say like, we're, we're all here. We're all in it together. We can all do this to help our profession grow. Love it. Yeah. So after our preliminary research and gathering our information, then we had to start the process of going through the chain of command. Um, we first gathered as a speech group to kind of brainstorm all of those ideas like I've stated before. We took it to our manager, who is phenomenal. She then, you know, gave us the, the, her blessing and said, I will pursue this with her director. She took it to her director who then said, this sounds like a good idea, but let's talk through a couple of things. So we generated a presentation um, talking about the components of ASHA, the requirements, the financials, all of those details. And I had to present it as the spokesperson for speech pathology to the leadership, to our acute care manager, to her director and to the VP as well as the other managers for inpatient rehab and outpatient who support speech pathology there. So that was a little intimidating, but we got the green light. And once we got the green light from that, then we were able to go to HR and request this position and draft a position and advertise, interview, and select. Awesome. Yeah. Um, A couple hoops that we had to jump through, like Morgan stated before, COVID was starting to make its way into the U.S. So we had already gotten approval from HR. We had already posted our position. We had already um, received our candidates, narrowed them down to our interview candidates. Um, We selected our top three, and we were just about to provide an offer to our top, one one of our top three candidates, and boom, COVID hit. And so we had to keep everybody on standby. We had to say, you are one of our top three candidates. We are in a hiring freeze right now. Please hold on and and, and hang in there with us. So it wasn't all roses and butterflies. And we were waiting on bated breath, Um, but it all worked out. We got our first clinical fellow. She had a great experience. And now we're on to our second Tara, who you'll hear from in a couple of So just know that it's not all beautiful. There are some hoops you have to jump through and you have to be patient and wait, but it works in the end. So in total, it took us about like a year to get this clinical fellowship program going with an additional couple months because of COVID, but standard times, I would say about a year. Um, Did you guys, are are you overlapping CFs at all or are they doing like the nine months and then a new one starting? So we're, we are overlapping depending on the graduation times of the candidates that we select, but we do like to overlap about a month to allow the old clinical fellow, if you will, to help train and mentor and hand off information to the new clinical fellow. So yeah, we are awesome. Yeah. One other thing that I just wanted to present to everyone is that when you are generating this sales pitch for your leadership, to think about your organization 
um, and try to advertise your organization to so that candidates will want to come to your organization. As much as you want a good clinical fellow, the clinical fellow also wants a good organization to work for. So you have to sell yourself, not sell yourself, but sell your organization to, to have candidates desire. So some things that we advertise are that we have a robust team with many different areas of interest. Like Morgan stated, we have many different teams, many different populations, and we have a group of almost nine full-time team members in the acute care setting, which is a huge team with vast experience. We have some speech pathologists who are fresh, like within the past five years in the profession, and some who have done their due diligence and have done their time and are, I don't know, I don't know, 20 years? Yeah, 15 or 20 years (laughs) at TGH. At TGH. So we have a vast amount of experience and a vast amount of um, concepts rolling around this, this organization. Uh, We also are a level one trauma center, a regional burn center. We're a top transplant center in the nation. We have collaboration with the University of South Florida in research. We're a comprehensive stroke center and a magnet hospital. Our hospital is big on advocating for rehab. So we have a lot of consults, a lot of intervention going on. Then we collaborate interdisciplinary. So we collaborate with PT and OT on several different patients to help improve patient care. And the last piece of information that we help promote our organization is it is Florida. It's sunny, it's warm, it's beautiful, it's in Champa Bay. So not Tampa, but Champa Bay. We have some uh, fantastic sports teams. And with that, we were so lucky to have our hospital on the water where we were able to view some of our victory boat parades while on our lunch breaks. We also got to go to the Super Bowl. We were those lucky healthcare workers that got to go to the Super Bowl. And our views here at the organization are just impeccable. So those are some of the things that we use to promote our organization and why someone would want to come here to Tampa General. I love it. Yeah. So one of the last things I wanted to talk about that I thought someone might be interested in is how do you how do you select your candidates? How do you sift through all of the applications? which there are a lot, upwards of 100, a lot of applications. Again, the reason why we're doing this podcast to get more people to create medical speech pathology clinical fellowships. And so I wanted to talk about some of the criteria that we use to move through different applications to determine our interview candidates. We prefer to have a candidate that has some acute care exposure in one of their externships so that they can have a basic foundation for medically complex speech pathology. Um, Exposure to instrumental assessment, passion for the acute care setting and population, a desire to expand on the current knowledge areas, so the desire to help grow the evidence-based practice or to grow the practice patterns here at Tampa General, Um, some research experience so we can help grow the profession, Um, and presentation, because after you do that research, we'd like you to present it to the profession. So those are just some of the things that if you are a graduate student looking for a clinical fellowship, those are some of the things that might be desirable in an organization. Well, I I can say I'm personally so grateful for like all of the hoops that they jumped through to get this position here, because this was my dream position and my dream job. I, I knew from the start of grad school that I wanted to work in the acute care setting. And you know, kind of like your guys' dream of why you wanted this position. You know, it's hard. It's hard to find them. There's not that many out there. You know, I, I, 
I did the Google stalking. I did the cold calling of the hospitals saying, would you, would you be interested in taking a clinical fellow? Um, do you think that you could take one on? Is there any possibility? And they're like, no, sorry, a lot of organizations, you know, legally, like their legal department won't allow for taking a clinical fellow. And, you know, some, some hospitals will take some, a clinical fellow on as like a PRN or pool position, but then you're kind of just, you know, thrown in the deep end and. Yeah, that seems funky. Yeah. yeah. So I know I personally was looking for more of like a structured program so that I could have, you know, that mentorship and that, you know, team camaraderie and feel really supported as I was transitioning from grad school into working independently because it's a lot harder than, than I think most people think, you know, at the end of grad school, you're pretty much independent. You're like, I got this, I'm ready to go. But then, you know, your first day as a fellow, it's like, oh, wow, <laughs> it's, it's me, <laughs> it's me doing this. And, you know, it's just like really nice and amazing to have that kind of support and mentorship being like, no, you got this girl, like you trained for this, you're ready for this. We have full faith and support that you can do this and you're going to do it and you're going to excel and, you know, move your way through this and then be a speech pathologist on your own. So I'm super grateful that this position was created so that I could, you know, be here and have this opportunity to learn and grow, you know, with TGH and personally as an aspiring, or I guess I am now, a, speech, a, a fellow speech pathologist, yeah. whatever yeah. I am. Yeah. Claim it, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm kind of real now. <laughs> yes, you're totally real, Tara. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, Tara, talk a little bit about, you know, did you apply other places or, you know, how did that whole application process work out, especially in, in the midst of COVID? Because I think, you know, getting a clinical fellowship is hard enough and then you throw in COVID and I think any of us just had so much grace for all of you. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was definitely hard. You know, the whole ending of my grad school experience was pretty much online and, you know, we had some clinic opportunities online, but it's it, it was all great and it brought me to where I am today. So I'm so grateful that it worked out the way it did, but it definitely like threw a wrench in the grad school plan yeah. of like all of my placements and, you know, hospitals weren't really wanting to take on students. Like I, when COVID happened, I was in the middle of one of my placements at Shands and, you know, they told us, okay, we're done. We're going home. You know, it's too unpredictable and students don't need to be here and there's too much unknown. So my placement was cut short. And so that was really you know, scary as a grad student when that was yeah. my dream job, you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to have, you know, like the experience and the skills needed to prepare myself for the future? And I was eventually brought back to chance when things, you know, cooled down a little bit and everything was gotten more under control, but yeah, getting a, getting a fellowship and, you know, just the whole application process is stressful to say the least. I mean, I think that's really an understatement and I think everybody in the field can, you know, relate to that. But I basically, as I said, started, you know, really like Google stalking, you know, big hospitals and like cold calling hospitals. So I'm from Fort Lauderdale. So I started local and just started calling, you know, all of the hospitals near me and through the state. And, and then I was like, I think I need to, you know, spread my wings a little further and went out of state and applied to a lot of places, you know, throughout the United States. But really just I found like different hospitals online and would call them and say, where are you open to taking someone? I followed a lot of speech pathology pages on Instagram and the different hospitals have like their speech team posting and then they would advertise positions. Um, so different things like that, where I, you know, found one way or another through different posts and things of certain positions happening. And then I created this crazy Excel doc with all of the positions that I found that had, you know, all of the information about the position, like what's the position, what does it entail? Is it exactly what I want or do I have to compromise a little for the fellowship? 
you know, when does it start? How do I apply? Like at every single thing, it was this crazy long Excel doc. And it's crazy how actually early some positions are even posted. I think I started looking probably, you know, January and I graduated in May and some positions had already even closed. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know I need, I thought I was ahead of the game starting so early, but little did I know I missed some, some of the windows. So, you know, really looking and finding them. And then it's, of course, once you find and apply, you have like a million things to prepare for applying. Um, you know, I have to make sure your resume is intact. You got to make sure you have letters of recommendation and, you know, your cover letter and all of that, which I mean, is the same for any job, I suppose. But it just was a whole new realm because you need this, you need this fellowship to practice. So it's, it's not just like, if I, if I don't get this, I'll apply for another job. It's no, I need this as the next step to starting my career. So it was that extra, you know, level of pressure on top. And then of course, like when you apply and you're fortunate enough to get an interview, you know, it's preparing for those interviews and making sure that you're going to be, you know, you're going to stand out in the interviews because it's most of them weren't just personal interviews or if they were, it was like a first round thing to just make sure, you know, your interests and everything were aligned with our facility. But then they got really technical um, <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness, I just graduated. Um, Were you prepared though, Tara? Yeah, I did feel really yeah. prepared for them. Um, so I, I studied so much and, you know, I did practice mock interviews with my externship supervisor and um, some of my past um, clinical supervisors and reached out to them for, you know, questions they were asked in interviews or questions like their facility would ask if they were interviewing, you know, a full-time candidate. Um, so I kind of had a good little idea of some things. Um, and of course, I just finished, you know, grad school and studying for the praxis. And at UF, we do something called like comp our comps. So I had just had all that info in my head. So I was like, okay, I feel like I'm ready to go. I've got all the info in my head. But some of the questions were, were really hard. And of course, you know, in the interview setting, when you're like, you're already kind of nervous because you really want this position. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> But I mean, fortunately, it really worked out here um, at Tampa General for me. So I am grateful. Amazing. But... Can, can you think of some of the questions that really stumped you or that you just were not even expecting that they would ask? Hmm. Do you remember? Or is it just totally a blur? It's really a blur. <laughs> um, I would say, I mean, these weren't the stumping ones, but every place asked me, you know, if you had a stroke patient, what would you do? Um, and going through, like, walk me through, you know, a typical, you know, bedside swallow eval. And it's like, you know, they're really checking. Do you start at the beginning with a chart review? Or are you just going to say when you get to bedside, you start with, like, PO stuff? Um, so that was, you know, a pretty standard one. It really is a blur now, of, like, some of the tough questions. But there were some, like, obscure conditions that I would say were maybe brought up. And I was like, oh, I'm going to need to Google this later and find out what it is, you know, for my future life. But yeah, no, I wish I had, I wish I had more, but I really, it was a blur now. Yeah, um, no, no, that's, the, I still think that, I still think that's very helpful for people listening, because I think sometimes you just have no idea what to expect, and people are like, oh, my, you know, resume speaks for itself, or my, you know, presentation speaks for itself, which that stuff, of course, um, matters, but how you present yourself that day, and also bringing all the knowledge to the table is very important as well, so. And then after each interview, I'd write down all the questions really quickly so that I would remember it and then be able to prepare better answers for like another organization's interviews. Awesome. I was like, okay, I already know what exactly what I'm going to say here because I've heard this before and now I can have, you know, my thoughts more together. For this awesome. One. I love that, Tara. I love that. Yeah. I think one of the 
the most beautiful, most phenomenal things about Tara's um, position as our clinical fellow now is like, it was completely a like mutual selection process. Like we talked about a little bit, we'll probably talk about later how important I, all of us think it is for um, a graduate student applying for a clinical fellowship to hold out for the right opportunity. And Tara mentioned her Excel spreadsheet and Casey and my colleagues had our Excel spreadsheets and it really turned out to be like a really nice mutual selection of, you know, our, our needs, our desires, our ambitions for a clinical fellow. And then Tara choosing a, a program that she felt like was right for her and that she was passionate about. So I think it turned out to be a really good match and that's a, a nice way to look at it rather than just like a, an authoritative kind of job hiring situation. It really needs to be a, a mutual selection process. Yeah. Yeah, Morgan, I feel like that could be said for so many things in life. You know, I feel like so many times we we settle or we just say, oh, we'll just take this and make it do. And then it is just a lot of friction because it was different expectations that weren't met. So I, I love what you said. I think that's beautiful. And I think there's so much that can be, you know, I feel like that can translate to so much of what we do in our careers is that it's just got to be a good mutual fit and a good mutual respect amongst everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think also what Morgan said of, you know, holding out and not just accepting the first, you know, we all want to get our lives started after grad school. We're two years, like after undergrad, we want to make money. We want to start our careers. We, you know, other friends from, you know, undergrad or have been working and living life for two years. And we feel like we're almost, you know, just starting our lives now. So a lot of people will accept other positions just to, you know, get the fellowship done and then move to, you know, an acute care setting after. But I really think it's so beneficial to, you know, hold out and wait for that dream position and, you know, just keep applying and keep shooting your shot until you can get to, and you can stick that position because it will just like the training that I've already got. I've only been here for three months and I've learned like an insane amount. I don't even have the words to say how much I've learned and, you know, how much I've grown already. And so I just don't think that I would be set up for success in, in my future if I didn't have this growth and this mentorship right off the bat. Um, and also, you know, not only holding out, but like be willing to move other places, um, for the position. It, it is just, you know, about a year and I feel like anyone can do anything for a year if you put your mind to it. So if yep. set you up again for your future, I think it's worth, you know, leaving your comfort zone and leaving wherever you planned on being just to, you know, get the training and mentorship and grow, you know, to be the best clinician that you could possibly be. Yeah. I think I can speak to that from my clinical fellowship. And this was back in the dark ages where there weren't as many as there are today. And I'm hoping there can be more in the future, but I had to commute an hour to an hour from, it sounds like I'm walking uphill both ways in the snow, but I really did have to commute an hour to an hour from my clinical fellowship and work a 10 hour day. So it wasn't beautiful. It wasn't the easiest thing, but you do have to compromise a little bit. You may have to move out of your comfort zone, like Tara's saying, but you'll be so happy in the end that you did. So hold out. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah. I think another, you know, thing, what I really wanted a structured, you know, program, as I said, and I, I don't know if everyone, you know, out there feels the same way, but that's just how I was looking for something. But I just love how this program and I, I hope other, you know, fellowship programs that start to emerge or hopefully get inspired to start, you know, after hearing this podcast. Um, I think that it is so valuable that I have um, the extra didactic and learning time. Um, incorporated into my schedule where it's time for me to, you know, look 
look at the evidence and find journal articles. And Morgan, who is my mentor, we meet biweekly and discuss case studies of, you know, tough cases of things. Maybe I was like, oh, I didn't exactly know what to do here. I needed a little bit of support or um, this was a crazy case. Like, I feel like everybody should hear about this. And, you know, then we, I, find a research article based on something that I did in the last two weeks or a patient that inspired me in the last two weeks and not only talk about it with Morgan, but, you know, send it out to the whole team so that we can all as a team learn and grow from, you know, my experience here. And then also having the time to, you know, shadow other disciplines. So I just actually finished my um, three month orientation period. So this is my first, my first week of out of orientation, which is very Already this week, I had the opportunity to shadow physical and occupational therapy, which was really awesome to see them on the same units that I'm seeing these patients for speech. They're doing PG and OT with them. So getting to see that perspective of them working with the same patients and seeing how the patients react, I think, really can help shape like my plans of care. And, you know, do I want to maybe do a a co-treat with them next time and have them sit the patient up or, you know, doing the inline passive mirror valve when PT and OT are working, you know, with the patients as well just different things like that. And having the opportunity, I was able to shadow in the operating room too and already watch a couple surgeries and I've only been here for, you know, a little bit of time. So it's just really great the interdisciplinary like observation and collaboration that's fostered here. And I think that's really useful as, you know, you're transitioning to being a clinician and just keeping that desire to learn and grow still so present to not only improve yourself, um, but help, you know, the whole team learn and grow together. Amazing. Amazing. I just, can I just say, I love the, I don't even know that I have the words to say, but I just love like the camaraderie that you guys have, like that you really hold these values of the hospital and the vision of the department as a whole. And I think that's so inspiring for other clinicians because I think sometimes, you know, we just hear all these horror stories of SLPs that are just out on their own islands or they're just not respected or they just don't feel like they have support. And I think I just want to thank you guys for talking about this because it's so important and I think it's so attainable too. It might take work within your organizations, but from the sounds, from what you guys are saying, it sounds like it's 100% worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. And as the newbie, I can attest to like the team is so great and like really collaborates together and everything. And I think during my interview, that's like ultimately why I love TGH so much and, you know, wanted to be here is because you could tell that they all, everyone talks about patient care and, you know, works together to improve it. And it's, it's really a team. It's a team effort. It's not, it's not anyone being out on the island. We're all here for each other and supporting each other. Um, and I feel just as much as part of the team only being here for three months as the person who's been here the longest type of situation. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. It really is. A, it, our organization is a, I mean, the best place that I've worked for sure. Um, because the environment is definitely centered on patient care. Um, like Casey mentioned with our, our pitch for the clinical fellow position, of course, we have to think about logistics and finances and, you know, a touch of productivity. Um, but our leadership is definitely um, pro patient care. And I think that, you know, on a day to day basis, we all feel like that's our priority. And, and that's why we're here. And we all feel very supported um, in doing that on a day to day basis. And so it's awesome to hear new team member and our clinical fellow feeling the same way. Awesome. I love that. Um, I just want to go back a second. Casey, talk a little bit about, you said um, Kara has sort of like a little research time built in or, you know, how did that come to be or or how did you get that approved to be part of that role as well? Absolutely. And I want to go back to my comment about Johns Hopkins. They kind of started this little seed in my brain about setting aside specific didactic time 
for Tara. And my team thinks it's hilarious that I use the word didactic, but it really is didactic. Her didactic days. Her didactic yeah. days. They make fun of me, but it is her didactic. <laughs> um, I, when I heard that, I, I kind of stuck my heels in the ground when I proposed this to leadership. And I said that this only will work if they're allowed the time to research, investigate, and grow our, our practice patterns. The, we can hire new team members, new team members, new team members, and be productive, you know, and, and that would be great for patient care. But the, but the main root and, and part of this position is to grow a new speech pathologist and to grow our, our team. So I stuck my heels in the ground and only said that this was the option. So I designated two days throughout the week each day would have four hours of time dedicated to additional learning, meeting with the supervisor, observing different professions, reviewing the literature, um, surgery days, journal clubs for, for the speech pathologist, um, presentations to the department, presentations to the profession. And so that's just the overarching like heart of this position. And I didn't really allow for, and, and so sorry to the leadership, but I really didn't allow for another option. I kind of just said yeah. that this is what it has to be. To be the, the, the facility that we want to be, we have to have this in this position. So I didn't quite give them another option. That was the only option. Non-negotiable. I love it. No, I think that's so admirable, Casey, because I think what that does also is it it gets more of the spotlight on speech pathology too. You know, I mean, if Tara's hanging out in these surgeries or, you know, these other rehabs, they're like, why is speech here? What does any of this have to do with speech? You know, and then questions start being raised. And, you know, if you're doing in services to other departments, Tara, I mean, that's amazing. That's what we should be doing. That is part of our job. Part of our field is advocacy, um, especially as we, as our field advances and we do more things. So, um, I love that you made that part of it because I think that's something that is so hard for SLPs that don't have any background in doing any of that. They're like, well, I don't even know where to start. Right. Yeah, we're happy we did that too. Yeah, yeah. All right. And we just um, wanted to, to bring Morgan into this too so that people yeah. could understand what it means to be a mentor and to be open to that in their facility. So I wanted Morgan to give a little bit of her insight too, if that's okay, Teresa. Yeah, of course. Yep. Yeah, I was the, the lucky one that um, was chosen as, you know, from our team to be Tara's mentor this year. Um, and I think along the lines of, of our organization's reasons for wanting a clinical fellowship, I kind of have the same reasons for wanting to be a mentor for a clinical fellow. I think it's a fantastic opportunity for personal growth, um, you know, as a human <laughs> to um, be, you know, responsible for another clinician's kind of entering into the speech pathology field and um, as well as, you know, clinical growth myself, um, as you mentioned, the didactic days where Tara and I have the opportunity to meet biweekly. And in those meetings alone, I think that, you know, I've, I've really taken advantage of the opportunity to expand my own knowledge, to really like get down to the research and to just have a discussion with Tara. And um, sometimes Casey joins our meetings as well. And it's, a nice time to set aside to really, you know, focus on, on research or different ideas, different perspectives. And I think that's a really cool opportunity as a mentor to, you know, be able to have that time set aside for you. Yeah. I think that, you know, all of us here at TGH, like Tara said, our, our team is, our speech pathology team is exceptional and we're all, you know, very, um, very close, very codependent at times. Um, and we all have a lot of the same ideals and 
we're always hyped to have graduate students. And so this is kind of like the next level, you know, from a graduate student to um, a clinical fellow. So um, one of the other things that we talked about when we were kind of brainstorming for um, our meeting together in the podcast was how it's different to mentor a, a graduate clinician versus a clinical fellow. And pretty much Tara and I both said at the same time, so it's pretty weird at first trying to find kind of that happy medium between a new team member, someone with a license um, who's technically able to treat your patients versus a new green clinician um, who applied to this program and was hired um, to grow as a clinician and to be supported in, in the speech pathology field. I remember one day standing in an elevator with Tara and I was like, do you want to go see this patient on your own? And we both kind of looked at each other like, yeah, you can totally see this patient on your own. But it was the first patient that she was going to see on her own. And it was just kind of, she got off the elevator and you're like, okay, bye. Like, see you soon. Um, Because we had gotten into a nice like teaching rhythm and co-treating rhythm. And so it was just a little bit weird that, you know, the first day to be like, yeah, you're, you're good to go. You can definitely see this patient on your own. But it's been really awesome because the our clinical fellow is is a little bit obviously more like a colleague rather than a student. It's not quite so, I guess, authoritative. Like Casey said a few minutes ago, it, it's a lot less directing of a clinical fellow and a lot more collaboration. And fortunately, we have a clinical fellow who's who's able to collaborate with us and is able to bring something to the table. And that's a really cool dynamic to have somebody um, that you're able to bounce ideas off of. And that's, you know, able to, to kind of go back and forth with you and, and bring up new ideas. So it was a little bit weird at first, you know, going from a mentor for a graduate clinician to a, a clinical fellow, but it's been um, a great experience to kind of expand my own teaching skills and um, to expand my own, you know, knowledge of, of current research and evidence-based practice and what other places are doing and um, what we can do to, to elevate our practice here at TGH. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, I talked a little, a few weeks ago, um, I did like a workshop on evidence-based practice in the day that we talked about like clinical experience. I found so many articles and, and just so many papers across all professions about how there really can be the most perfect marriage between an older experienced clinician and a new grad or a clinical fellow. And that, you know, the clinical fellow can, can bring so much new research and new innovation to the group. Whereas the experienced clinician, of course, can understand what that might look like or how that could actually be rolled out and what it could look like really. And I just found that so fascinating because so many times, well, you know, I have all these years of experience or, you know, there's, we can get defensive or take things personal and that's not how it's meant to be at all. It can really just be this beautiful teaching experience together. So um, thank you for bringing that up, Morgan, because I think that's really valuable. Yeah, for sure. And that's, I mean, another reason why I think we'd all advise those meetings where it's like dedicated time and kind of like quiet time, like you're not in the hustle and bustle of like trying to see your patients Um, So that your clinical fellow can bring their ideas, their, you know, the research that they've been studying over the week, you know, to present to you, and then using their pre-existing knowledge and skills and experience and kind of mold it into what you know is going to be clinically applicable and um, feasible and um, appropriate and kind of bring those two things together. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Do you have any more questions for us? 
I don't think so. This was awesome, you guys. I think this was a great little group. And thank you so much for all of you for contributing. This is awesome. I really hope, I, I really think this is going to be a great episode because I think so many places are wanting to do, to do this, but just don't know where. So um, Casey, I hope you're ready to get flooded with emails because you probably will about people wanting to, to get started and lean on you. So yeah. Someone did it for me and I just would love to pay it forward. So bring it on. I might take awesome. a little while to respond, but bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And that is, and you guys really truly embody our field. So thank you so much for, for doing this and for, for starting what you started, Casey, and for Morgan, for being an amazing mentor and Tara for just being a rock star clinical fellow and showing the others what it's like. So awesome. Thank you guys. I, I, thank you as well for having us. Yes, of course. All right. Well, thank you so much, you guys. Any, any final thoughts? No, just I think we just really, we appreciate the opportunity, Teresa, to kind of share our experience. And I mean, you know, us SLPs, we love to talk and we love to, to share and everything. So we would love to hear from anybody who, you know, wants assistance with setting up a clinical fellowship program or even has some new ideas for us that, you know, we could incorporate. Awesome. And, and just a final thought to like, take the leap, try it and don't take no for a final answer. Keep trying. Awesome. awesome. I love it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. You guys, I really appreciated this. Thanks. Thank you. All right. To download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email so that you'll never miss another episode. If you like what you hear, then please subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, and share it on social media with your friends and colleagues, because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Special credit to Danny B. Socrates for her amazing audio and editing skills and to Marissa Hendrickson for managing all the things behind the scenes. As always, thanks so much for listening and see you next week.